Well, let's pray and we'll get into the word. Father, in the name of Jesus, how grateful we are to be here today. Thank you for your blessings upon our lives that we can still keep moving forward no matter what's happening in the world around us. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us, for your faithfulness to your word and your promises. We ask now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would open up our understanding and comprehension that we might apply what your word says to our lives and live it faithfully in a world that desperately needs to see it. May you be glorified as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, if there, be, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves." Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient Unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This morning I want to share a message I've entitled Kingdom Attitudes. you know, we've uh, periodically I've been taking us back to the subject of being kingdom people. And, and if we are in this place and if we have surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ and the Bible tells me that I have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. I have literally been rescued from one kingdom and made a citizen of another kingdom. So that means that no matter what happens in this crumbling, crazy chaotic world, I can rest in the reality that I am the citizen of another kingdom, that I belong to another king. And it is a kingdom that the Bible says cannot be shaken and will not pass away. It is a kingdom that is eternal. Kingdom people we have talked about are different, different people. We aren't at home in this world. Why? Because we belong to a different one. We are not disappointed by the failures of this world. Why? Because our hearts have been captured by the king. And we recognize that this world is always going to disappoint us. This world is always going to come short of what it takes to satisfy and truly fulfill our lives. And because we are kingdom people... We don't store up for ourselves treasures here on earth that are only going to rust and be corrupted where thieves break through and steal. Where do we store up our treasures? The Bible says that we store up our treasures in heaven where those things cannot touch and that those treasures never run out. The thing about this world and the kingdoms of this world is that they are only temporary. The kingdom that we belong to is eternal, never-ending. And the re- these realities not only affect the way we walk and how we talk, but they should go deeper and affect our attitudes. Attitude is a word that we use all by itself, isn't it? We can say that someone has an attitude. Have you ever noticed if you say that someone has an attitude, it's never a compliment, right? If someone comes to you and says, hey, you got an attitude, you're like, yeah, so, Right? Uh, because attitudes, typically when you say somebody's got an attitude, you're talking about the fact that they've got a problem. Uh, some people, as we know, need attitude adjustments. 
Hank Williams Jr. sang a song about that, didn't he? He's a prophet before he ever knew it, right? We've got to have an attitude adjustment. And some of us know just how to hand out attitude adjustments, don't we? Some people need a right hook. Some people need a smack on the hind end. Some people just need to shut up, right? Some of you need to go back to bed. Some of you need to drink your coffee. Some of you need to take your pill. Whatever it is, your attitude needs adjusted, right? And we can have bad attitudes and we can have good attitudes. And we all woke up with one this morning, right? We all woke up with an attitude. And no matter what you bring to church... Some of you, you know, you bring your Bibles, you bring, uh, some of you, you bring your spouse, some of you wish you left them at home, some of you, you bring your wallet, some of you make sure you leave that at home, right? Some of we bring all kinds of things to church, right? We drag all kinds of stuff in here, and we drag different things, but all of us bring our attitudes, Every single one of us brought an attitude in here this morning, and, and it could have been a good attitude or it could have been a bad attitude. Now, maybe your attitude changed during worship. You know, maybe you came in with a bad attitude. Maybe you're mad about the sweet tea at McDonald's, and you had an attitude when you came in. And so you're like, I can't believe this. And then the worship starts, and your attitude changes. Or maybe you came in with a good attitude, and they didn't sing the song you wanted. Now you got a bad attitude. You know, so it just depends on what's going on in your life. But whichever one we choose can determine a lot about who we are and where we're going. Whatever attitude that we choose to have, and in reality, it, it is that. It is a choice of what attitude we're carrying around. It determines who we are and where we're going. Now, the word attitude itself has to do with our disposition, our manner and behavior. It's determined, obviously, by how we feel about someone or about something. Attitude has to do with perspective. It has to do and is affected by experience. It's affected by what we believe. It has to do with our mindset, with the way that we think. Attitude is the readiness of our heart and mind to act in a certain way, to act or react in a certain way. Our attitudes can really be the defining factor of whether we have success or whether we have failure. It can be the determining factor of whether you keep going or you decide to quit, whether you make it through or whether you decide to throw in the towel. Anybody that's ever been involved in sports understands that attitude is a big deal about being successful in sports. If you get up to bat and your attitude is already, I'm going to strike out, you're probably going to strike out. And anytime you set your heart to do something, if your attitude is, is I'm not going to make it, I always fail, I always mess up, I'm never going to do anything right, then that's probably what's going to happen to you. Henry Ford was the one that was famous for saying, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. It just depends on how you're thinking, right? Chuck Swindoll made the famous statement that life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. And we can all say that that's true in our lives. Because most of us, in some form or another, go through the same types of heartaches and problems and pains. There is no temptation that has taken us that isn't common to man, the Bible tells us. So every single one of us, maybe in greater intensity, maybe for longer periods, maybe we've had even more things happen in our lives than others, but most of us have faced certain of the same types of problems, temptations, adversities in our lives. So it's not really what's happening to us that's shaping us as much as what's happening in us that's shaping us. 
What's happening to us is only meant to shape what's in us. So it's not what's happening to us, but how we're reacting to what happens to us. And our reactions really do tell a whole lot more about us than our actions do. Because our reactions are normally knee-jerk. They are something that immediately comes out. If I dump a sponge in water and squeeze it, I can't expect orange juice to come out of it. It's not been soaked in orange juice. Right? If I'm not soaking my life in God, if I'm not soaking my life in the Word, then when troubles and adversities come in my life and I get squeezed, I can't expect the Word of God to come out of me. I can expect some words that maybe I shouldn't repeat, but not the Word of God. It is those who approach life with the right attitude that typically find themselves living the happiest lives. And let's just face it, isn't that the pursuit of everyone in the world? I just want to be happy. Right? I just want to be happy. It's even in the Declaration of Independence, for heaven's sake. It's the pursuit of happiness. That's what we're all after. We want to be happy. And those who make that attitude adjustment in their lives to say, I'm going to look at the world in a different way, those are the ones that typically live the happiest lives. And vice versa. When you have people that walk around and they're always negative Nancy and they never see anything good about life, then how many of you know they live unhappy, depressed, discouraged lives? And they try to take you with them. Right? They try to take you with them. An attitude change can literally change the atmosphere of your life, of a room, of a situation, of a relationship, an attitude change can literally change everything. So as saved, redeemed, Holy Ghost, kingdom people, what attitudes should we have? What should be the basis of our attitudes? Now, obviously, this is a kind of a psychological thing that we're dealing with here. And, and, and when we talk about the psychology or what makes up who we are and our mental state and, and how we think. I know a lot of times in, in Christianity, we, we try to, we, we look at psychology in a negative way, but we've learned a lot about who we are as a per- people through psychology as well as through how we're made up physically, right? We go to a doctor when we're messed up physically. Sometimes we need someone to help us because we're messed up in the head. But what we do realize as the people of God, That who we are and who we are becoming must always first and foremost be rooted in the word of God and who we are in Christ and who Christ has made us. Of course we are broken psychologically. We are broken emotionally. We are broken physically. We are broken spiritually. Why? Because sin has destroyed everything it has touched. And so because of this, we must start with our spirit and where we are with God. So what is the attitude that we have? It should be biblically based. Paul encourages the Philippian believers. In verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. So he's telling them, let the same mind that Christ has and had dwell in you. Now, what does this mind mean? It refers to perspective, disposition. It refers to attitude. Paul wants them to have the Jesus attitude. He wants them to walk around with kingdom 
attitudes, a kingdom perspective, a kingdom disposition, a kingdom attitude. And how does Paul define this? Where does it all begin? What is the root and the basis of kingdom attitudes? It is rooted in humility. Humility is the basis for every other godly character in our lives. Whatever character, whatever Christ-like godly character or trait that we are trying to form in our lives. Now know this, that the Holy Spirit, not only does He empower us and fill us with His gifts and use us in supernatural ways, but the work of the Spirit in our lives is sanctifying us and setting us apart for the purpose of God. He is forming us and shaping us and making us into the image of Christ. And so every shaping and molding, every character trait, every godly character that God is trying to add to our lives must be rooted and begin in humility. It is the ground from which every other virtue grows. Now, to be humble normally indicates a heart of gratitude and a lack of arrogance or a lack of pride. Humble people are always grateful people. Humble people are always those who have a modest view of oneself. Literally, to be humble means that you, not necessarily that you are thinking less about, less of yourself, but you think less about yourself. And so as we walk in humility, we are seeing ourselves as we should. But biblical humility goes even deeper than that. Biblical, biblical humility is a sense of dependence and trust in God. It is rooted in the character of God and it is founded in the fear of God. As we see God for who he is, then it produces in us this deep sense of dependence. And biblical humility is also manifested in a desire for obedient service. Joyful submission to the will and the purpose of God. And Paul most beautifully describes this attitude in the picture of Christ's incarnation here in Philippians chapter 2. Many people believe that this was actually a chorus. It was a foundation of theology that was very early in the writings of the Christian church. In theological terms, it's referred to as the kenosis of Christ. It is talking about Christ, the divine Son of God. God becoming a man. God descending and putting on human flesh, emptying himself, and then going all the way in obedience to the death of the cross. This act of deepest humility in all of human history made a way for us to be redeemed. This is actually a picture of the Christmas story that Jesus Christ, that God in human flesh, that God stepped off his throne and wrapped himself in flesh and became a man, and not only a man, but a servant... And then live in joyful, willful obedience to the God who loves us and went to a cross to redeem and save and rescue sinners just like you and me. Man, this is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture in all the Bible. This act of humility is the attitude that God has called us as kingdom people to strive to live. It is our willingness, our willingness to humbly submit to the will and purpose of God that empowers us to make it through adversity. A kingdom attitude is ring, rooted in a kingdom perspective, seeing things through different eyes. 
Jesus said, my meat was to do the will of the Father who has sent me. In other words, Jesus said, that which sustains me, that which fulfills me, that which strengthens me, that which brings me the most joy and the most satisfaction is the will of the Father. Me doing what God has called me to do, fulfilling the purpose for which I was created. And it is our desire to serve the Father that brings us the most joy, the most satisfaction, the most hope. It is a lie of the enemy that tells us that following after Christ is meant to be boring and restrictive and unsatisfying. It is a lie of the world that tells us that you need the things that the world offers to satisfy and fill the emptiness of your soul. It is a lie of hell that tells you if you follow after Jesus, there's too much you got to give up. It's not worth it. The truth of the matter is you find your greatest fulfillment, your greatest joy, your greatest satisfaction, your greatest hope in serving the king who has called you. In willful obedience to him. This attitude of humility extends to every area of our lives. It shapes how we see things. It shapes our perspective. It helps us keep our lives in balance. It helps us keep our lives on the path of the Word of God and what He has called us to do. We have to search our hearts and make sure that humility is the ground of everything that God is doing in our lives. I've said this once before, and this kind of can make us uncomfortable because... You know, as shouting Holy Ghost people, we like verses of Scripture, you know, that tell us we're victorious and we're overcomers, don't you? Don't you like those kind of verses? Most of you have them on your refrigerator. You got coffee cups. You got sticky notes all over the place telling you how victorious you are and how overcoming you are and how blessed you are. Hashtag blessed. You know, you got all, you've got all these things going on in your lives. And we like to quote things, if God be for me. How many times have you quoted that? If God be for me. Now, first, first of all, we were like, it's in there somewhere. I'm not sure where it is, but it's in there somewhere. If God be for me, who can be against me? But we forget that the Bible says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. I believe that God is for me. But what if God is resisting me? That's not something we always want to think about, is it? God doesn't resist me. I'm hashtag blessed. Right? God doesn't resist me. I'm his child. I'm a king's kid. I'm blah, 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 blah. <laughs> well, even our faith, right? Even our faith has to be rooted in humility. Even our faith has to be rooted in humility because God gives grace to the humble. Know this, that every blessing of God Every promise of God, every work of God that takes place in our life is a result of grace. Has nothing to do with my abilities or my, my opportunities or how smart I am or even how many scriptures I can quote. It has everything to do with the grace of God in my life. And if I want to see God's grace abundantly poured on my life, then I should be making sure that humility rules my life. This changes how we see things. It changes our perspective. Now, the Bible, there's a lot of people that have referred to the Beatitudes as the attitudes that we should have, and we've talked about the Beatitudes, but there's five things I want to point out on how this changes our perspective and how we see things. Number one, it changes how we see God. Remember that the Bible tells me that humility is birthed out of the fear of God, that not only is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom, but this wisdom and this knowledge finds its root in a heart that is humble. The Bible tells us in Proverbs that before honor comes humility. In order to be honored... 
There's an essence of humility that needs to be a part of our lives. And this humility changes how we see God. It's as we truly see God for who he is that our hearts then then can turn to joyful submission. Once we see God for who he really is and the power and strength and the holiness of who he is, then we turn in joyful submission. I really believe that and I think that one of the deepest issues in our world is that we have a deficient view of who God is. Um, We have created a God that fits our comfort levels and leads us really to lowering God to our standards. And we see it more and more in, in present day as we take scriptures and we rest them, as Peter said, we, we take them and we wrestle them and we change them and we move them to fit our culture and the times that we're living in. We try to fit the lifestyle that God has actually called us to live and jam it in, take a square peg and jam it into a round hole. And we're expecting God to be understanding of how we have defined who he is. We have a deficient view of God. There's a lot of people that will say, well, don't be afraid of God. Jesus said, don't fear him who's able to destroy just your body, but fear him. Oh, but Mark, that's talking about honoring and respecting. Yeah, yeah. But it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Bible says our God is a consuming fire. But fear him who is able to throw both body and soul into hell. I think many times that we are uncomfortable preaching this gospel because we believe that the gospel message is God is love. Yes, God is love. But God's love does not erase his holiness. Nor does God's love erase his purity. Nor does God love, God's love erase his standards. Or what he has called us as a people to do. Yes, God loves you. And God loves you just the way you are. But just the way you are is not enough. The cross was not brutal and disgusting and bloody because he just wanted to make your life better. He's called us to die. And in this holiness of God, it's our attitude towards him. When we stop having a flippant Santa Claus attitude towards God is when we are truly beginning to walk in humility. That we're truly having the attitude of the kingdom. Do I live in fear as though I shake and, and cannot approach the Father? No, that's I don't. But I do recognize in the back of my heart that if I stand before the one whose eyes are like fire, that he pierces through to who I am and where I stand, and I have no place to hide, I don't know about you, that makes me uncomfortable. This is the God we serve. How we see God is the most important thing about us. Number two, our perspective, our attitude, how we see ourselves. You know, we know that the Bible tells us not to think too highly of ourselves. The Bible tells us, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Now, I also understand that we're not supposed to look at ourselves as worms and hopeless and God doesn't love us. I believe we have to have a proper perspective of who we are. We are worms. We are worthless. We are, without Christ, lost and broken. But because of grace, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ... I am now a saint. I am now a child of God. I am bought by the blood of Jesus. But let let me not forget that I am that way because of who he is. 
An attitude of humility reminds us not only that we not, shouldn't think too highly of ourselves or that we should be careful that we walk in pride, but it reminds us of our consistent and desperate need for God. Our humility reminds us that every day of my life I need Him. I didn't just need Him at that moment that I bowed down at an altar or my home or wherever I was and I gave my life to Christ. I didn't just need Him then. I needed Him when I got up that very moment. I needed Him the next day. I still need Him today. Grace saved me and grace will keep me and grace will get me where I'm going. And so we, it's, it's humility that reminds us of our consistent and desperate need for God because none of us are worthy of God's grace, but He gave it away anyway. This attitude keeps us from leaning too much on our own understanding and leaning too much on our own abilities instead of trusting God. As we know, one of the most famous passages of Scripture in all the, uh, of all the Word of God, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. That is a definition of biblical humility. Trust in the Lord and not leaning on your own abilities, your own understanding, not following after your own way, but acknowledging Christ that every good promise in me is a result of the grace of God at work in my life. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Everything that God has done in me is because of His grace and humility reminds me of my desperate need for him. It also reminds us that none of us are too high up the rung on the ladder to serve. Jesus said, I did not come to to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. God said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. We are all called to be servants. How? In the example of Jesus. In the example of Jesus. That Jesus left behind glory to come to dirt and serve. So this humility, this attitude affects how we see ourselves. It also, number three, affects how we see others. And obviously Paul emphasizes this in the first part of this passage. How we see God and ourselves is always going to affect how we see other people. If we, all, if we see ourselves as better than or superior than others, then we lose the love and the mercy of God. We cease then to be servants. In the steps of Jesus, Paul tells us that unity should be what we strive for, that we are not in competition with each other, that I am not to compare myself with you, and that I am not supposed to discourage you in your walk with God. He tells us that the needs of others should come first, and that we should esteem others better than ourselves. Romans chapter 12 actually tells us to outdo each other in honoring one another. Right? I'm supposed to one-up you in honoring you. That I esteem you better than myself. That it is not my desire to try to promote myself, but to promote the king and to do whatever I can to build and encourage you, as Pastor Don preached about last week. We are to build each other up by the power of God. This is the attitude of Jesus. I am my brother's keeper. I am the one who's supposed to know how you're doing and what's going on in your lives. 
Walking the Christian life means we're supposed to get our hands dirty. It means we're supposed to care. Amen. Come on. Oh, that sounds like some type of weird statement. But it's, it blows me away how much sometimes as Christians we just don't seem to care. We care about truth and we care about people telling them, I'm going to tell you the truth. Don't you ask me my opinion, I'll give it to you. Watch me get on Facebook and, and tear them down. There are so many Facebook and Twitter prophets, I have lost track of them all. I'm waiting for their book. But we are so ready to tell people where they're wrong and how they've messed up and, and what they need to fix. Right? Because we all need fixed. You're all a mess. None of us have it all together. We are all put back together people. And so when we esteem others better than ourselves, we are recognizing that in and of ourselves, there but for the grace of God go I. Some of us act like, well, you know, I'm never going to. That's never going to happen to me. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If my heart is not to serve others, then I have lost my heart to serve God. If my heart is not to serve others, then I've lost my heart to serve God. Two more things, really quickly. Number four, our perspective on how we see sin. And this goes along with how we see God and how we see ourselves. It is the heart of humility that sees the wonder, the holiness, and the goodness of God, and then bows and surrender to His call. Because how we see sin says a lot about us. When we don't take sin seriously, we are endangering our souls. If we make grace an escape hatch to do anything we want and live any way that we want, then we aren't recognizing the true power of grace, nor are we recognizing the destructiveness of sin. It's just one moment. It's just one decision. But it was only one look that ruined David's life. Jesus looked at a rich man and said, it's only one thing that you lack. Many times in our lives, it's just that one moment. It's just that one party. It's just that one sexual encounter. It's just that one lustful thought. It's just that one word that we shouldn't have spoken. It's just that one attitude that we continually carry around with us. It's that one moment of weakness. And because we don't see the seriousness of sin, it leads us to a damaging place. It's not just the big ones that everyone sees, right? Normally when we think about sin, we think about all the big ones that everybody sees. But it's the heart attitudes that we need to deal with. When we consistently play around the edges of sin, we open ourselves up to deeper spiritual issues. Humility always leads to confession. It always leads to repentance. It is pride that keeps us from bringing our brokenness to the king. A kingdom attitude towards sin is to let God's light expose us and then hate that which destroys us. Our attitudes towards sin can very well depict what kingdom we are actually of. Because once our heart has been captured by the king, then we hate that which pollutes, the, pollutes our garments with even the stench of the flesh. If we are going to be people of the spirit then we have to recognize that sin is not our friend. It may feel good, but it will not last forever. And its consequences last a whole lot longer than the moment. 
And number five, how we see our circumstances. Our attitude, our kingdom attitude determines how we see our circumstances because the fact of the matter is life right now at this very moment is happening to us. Life is happening to us. And a lot of what is happening to us is not something that we have control over. We can't control it. We can't stop it. We can't keep it from happening. As long as people live, there's going to be problems. As long as people live, there are going to be things that get on your nerves, that disappoint you, that discourage you, that stand in your way. As long as there are people on this planet, there are going to be discouraging times in our lives. And it's easy to allow ourselves to get discouraged and carry a negative attitude around with us because 2020 has been such a horrible year. Because we recognize that we are living in, it never seems like, there's, there's never an end to this situation, isn't it? Just when we think, hey, we're, we're coming out of the forest and someone like smacks you with another COVID article, right? Somebody slaps you with a mask, right? No matter what you're doing in life, it just, everything has revolved around this situation and it's easy for us to have a negative attitude. I don't know about you, I have. Some of you are like, oh, I've praised God all the way through it, right? <laughs> you need to go back to number four and how you see sin because you're a liar and the truth is not in you. But negativity does destroy our faith. Negativity destroys our joy. Our perspective of defeat and discouragement is obviously going to affect our faith, our walk of faith, and our walk of joy. A kingdom perspective allows us to see good, God's goodness in the middle of hard times. Folks, we have got to get out of our mind that God called us to float to heaven. He didn't. I have fought a good fight. It is a fight. Peter said, why are you acting so surprised? As if some strange thing has happened to you. Welcome to the human race. Welcome to a devil who hates your guts. You have to recognize no one's floating to heaven. Get it in your heart and mind that life is hard. But when we have a kingdom perspective, it recognizes that in the middle of the circumstances, the word blessed doesn't just mean happy. It means that I'm happy in spite of my circumstances. It means my joy is not rooted in what's happening to me, but what Christ has done for me. It is rooted in the fact that I have a hope that no matter where I find myself now, God is working all things out for my good. That God is working in me both to do of His good pleasure. Adversity should shape our faith. It should push us into a deeper dependence of God. Adversity many times is the way that God uses us to remind us to get back to humility, to get back to a kingdom perspective, to get back to true faith. So welcome to the battle. Use your faith. Stop talking about it and use it. There's too many people in the Christian, I am so full of faith. I think I told you one time when I was younger, I had a guy tell me that he had an unbelievable amount of faith. I'm like, that doesn't even make any sense. I can't even believe in my faith. My faith's so big, it's unbelievable. All right, good for you. 
But really, in, the, in charismatic Pentecostal circles, we walk around as people of faith, confessing faith, you know, and everything's wonderful when the car's running and the, the bills are being paid and we still got a job and nobody's coughing on you. Everything's wonderful. <laughs> but as T.D. Jake said, you never know you had faith until you've been in a good fight. A kingdom attitude will help us see through current circumstances to the purpose of God in it. Do you think God's surprised about where you are? You think God's sitting on the throne going, whoa, how'd you get there? What have you been doing? I turned my head for a minute and there you are. God's not surprised about what you're going through. He's not been shocked off the throne by your dumb decision either. His grace extends. That's how big his grace is. That is how I believe. That's why I believe that God's sovereignty is even beyond anything that we can imagine. That even in his sovereignty, there is actually room for the will of man to make stupid decisions. And God still can find a way to bless our lives. My circumstances are not always going to be what I want them to be. And they may be that way because it's my fault, or they may be that way because it's somebody else's fault. It might be that way because it's the devil's fault. It might be that way just because the world stinks. Circumstances are not always the way I want them to be. But the kingdom never changes. And God's love for me never changes. And his promises never fail. And his hope is unending. And his joy is unspeakable. And his peace passes all understanding. Nothing changes that. And so I can find the purpose of God in it. So I challenge you here this morning. Kingdom attitudes are all rooted in the person of the king. As we surrender our hearts to him in humility, he makes a beautiful painting out of the canvas of our lives. He takes the junk of our lives and turns it into a beautiful masterpiece. And so the Bible says, let's have the same mind in us that, that, that is of Christ Jesus. The attitude of humility, the attitude of servanthood, the attitude of utter dependency upon God. And let's honor the king in humble service. Let's honor the king in godly attitudes. Let's honor the king by honoring one another. Let's honor the king by repentance and turning from sin. Let's honor the king by truly walking in faith and trusting his purpose in our lives. Bow your heads with me here this morning. Father, how grateful we are for your goodness. How grateful we are for your promises that never fail. How grateful we are for your grace that reaches us in the middle of our mess. How grateful we are for the kingdom of God that is unshakable, that is unstoppable, that is unmoving, that is eternal. Thank you, Lord, that you are the rock that we hide in, the rock of ages that we hide in, Lord, during a time of great turmoil and distress. We know, Lord, that things are going to get worse and worse, that there's coming a time where this earth is going to be destroyed. And, Lord, we look forward with hope for a new heaven and a new earth. We look forward in hope for the coming of our Savior, our Redeemer. We look forward in hope to a place called heaven that has been prepared for us. And, Lord, so we press forward. We move forward in hope, in faith, in strength, no matter what's happening around us. May our hearts stay humble before you, God. Break us and mold us, shape us into who you've called us to become. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you just focus your attention on the Lord for just a moment as we bow our heads in his presence. Father, we thank you that you're speaking today. And I'm going to ask you today, as you set your, set your heart upon the Lord, maybe you're saying here this morning, I'm uncertain of where I stand with God. This is the most important question that you must 
answer here today. Maybe, maybe at one time you had a relationship with Christ, but you've been playing around the edges of sin. The pull of the world has, has been dragging you away from God. Some of you in here are very distant from the Lord. And God's calling you back to His grace. The enemy maybe has lied to you and you've used it to justify where you are and justify your sins and justify the way you, the attitude you've carried and the talk that you've had and the, and the lifestyle you've lived. And I know that's hard many times for us to see. But Jesus is calling to you today. Do you know Him? Is He your Lord and your Savior? Is He true? Is He real? Is your faith genuine? If you're in this building today and you're uncertain of where you stand with God, or maybe you find yourself slipping away from your passion towards Christ, we want to give you an opportunity to do business with God today. We want to give you the opportunity to enter into this beautiful, wonderful, eternal kingdom. Maybe you're in this room today and you're really struggling, you're really fighting. I don't want to make light of anybody's adversity. I don't want to make light of anybody's battle. Some of you may have felt like you've been in this adversity for a long, long time. But I'm telling you today that God's grace is sufficient. God's strength is more than you'll ever need. And so if you need our help in prayer and agreement with you, let us pray with you. Let us believe with you. Let us stand with you.